Get ready to listen, learn, and earn CE hours. This podcast features content from an accredited CE activity provided by Calibri Healthcare. Visit EliteLearning.com slash podcasts for accreditation and disclosure statements and instructions on how you may be able to earn CE credits. Hello, I'm Dr. Candice Pierce with Calibri Healthcare. We are so glad you're joining us as we dive into the topic of depression. It is estimated that 5% of adults worldwide suffer from depression. In the United States, it's estimated that 21 million adults will have at some point in their life an episode of major depression. Depression has been around as far back as the 4th century BCE when Hippocrates identified depression as a psychological disorder. Depression, while it's a very common term, is much more complex than sadness or feeling blue. It is actually considered a leading cause of disability worldwide. Now let's join into the discussion with our host Leanna and our expert Dr. Reg as they discuss the symptoms and treatments for major depressive disorder. Welcome to a special edition podcast with Dr. Reg Williams. Dr. Williams is Professor Emeritus at the School of Nursing and Psychiatry in the medical school at University of Michigan, and he also serves as a nurse practitioner. Welcome, Dr. Williams. Thank you. Uh, Our topic today is depression, out of darkness, depression and some latest therapies, which I think is a really, uh, really interesting and intriguing topic. You and I had a conversation offline and the questions were just bouncing around in my head. So I'm happy that you're here for everyone to hear as you answer some of those for us. Now, I think we're all familiar with experiencing sadness, Can you explain to us the difference between feeling the blues or feeling sad with actual depression? Absolute. Um, You know, what's interesting about um, depression uh, and sadness to sort of compare the two, you know, oftentimes when people are feeling sad, they'll say, oh, you know, I'm feeling depressed, but they're actually experiencing sadness. And the easiest way to, to kind of characterize it is we all feel sad if someone dies that is close to our family, a, a loved one of some some person that that you've lost, an animal that we very cl- mm. that we treasure. Those kinds of things will oftentimes cause sadness, and that aspect of being feeling down, feeling very sad over a loss, you know, is pretty profound. However, people when they're feeling sad can actually pull out of it. And probably a good example is during a wake. Um, you know, people might be talking about their loved one and sitting and laughing, telling, telling stories about the person, and then five minutes later, sitting crying. I mean, that, that is sadness, and that is not a, a typical of the grieving process that we all go through. But depression is very different. It's clinical depression where you don't pull yourself out of it. And so what I oftentimes use as an example that really characterizes, I think, depression is that a person will say to me, they feel like they've fallen in a hole and they can't get out. And that is so true. I, if they don't even use, they'll oftentimes even use that term, but they'll, they'll often describe something that's very similar. And I see my role in terms of helping people 
is if I'm putting a ladder in that hole and helping them climb out. And that's actually, you know, when you combine medication and psychotherapy, that's what I'm doing is putting that ladder down there and helping them climb out of that hole. Wow, that's, that's, I love that analogy. That's, that's perfect. So this depression, when they feel like they're in that hole, are there ever glimmers of light or they're just literally in there? Oh, there can be glimmers of light, but you know, for a diagnosis of depression, it has to be the symptoms, and we'll go over those in a moment, sure. uh, that they experience. But it's more days than not, Got and it. more hours than not, and that's typical of, of you know, clinical depression. Great. Um, what are the, the incidents of depression in, in, in the U.S. or you know, globally? What, is, what, have, what have you got for statistics on depression? I'd love to hear that. Well, uh, you know, it's estimated that about 21 million U.S. adults uh, have at least one major depressive episode in their lifetime. And so it is, wow. it is profound in terms of the number of people that, that experience depression. And uh, when I talk about this topic, you'd be amazed, uh, Leanna, how many people tell me, oh my goodness, I suffered depression, or I've had depression in my, my past, that kind of thing. And it, it is so common to hear the number of people that have suffered depression. So it affects a lot, a lot of people. Sure, and a lot of them that we wouldn't even know about, right? Well, one of the things that I think is kind of interesting about what depression does to a person and, it, and it's actually one of the symptoms of depression in terms of what it does. It makes them think that they're weak and that somehow mm -hmm. they should pull themselves out of it. So they can go for a period of time convincing themselves, oh, I'm just being weak. You know, this is not an illness. I'm just, I'm just being lazy. Those kinds of terms that they'll often describe their behavior. And in reality, they're suffering depression. And right. it really affects their, their life and people around them. Sure. So there'll be people listening to this podcast who may be thinking, I don't know anyone that suffers from depression, but you actually may. Oh, most often, yes. I, I, well, one of the things that I do uh, is often ask students, you know, how many people do they know that have suffered depression? And I can assure you that when I've lectured on depression, with nursing students as an example, every hand goes up in wow. terms of how much they've seen depression, either in their family or friends or even in themselves. Sure, sure. So it's pretty profound. Among other things, the cost of uh, depression can be burdensome on our uh, society. Is that correct? Oh, absolute. Um, one of the things that, that uh, some of the th statistics that have been shown in terms of, of the cost and burden of de major depressive disorder is it increased from $236.6 million, I'm, I'm sorry, billion dollars, say the, the, the big B, billion, um, in 2010 to $326.2 billion in 2020. Wow. So just in that period of time, you can see in a 10-year period how much it has actually increased in the cost. And the burden is just not only for the person, but for companies, for families, you name it. And it, it, is, it is a very expensive illness. 
Wow. It just it's not something that I would have thought about off the off the top is the cost of it, but that is staggering. Now we talked just briefly about that stigma of being weak, and I know when I think of my father's generation or even my own, I think that that was really prevalent. But what about younger generations? What about our millennials or nexters or are they do they have the same stigma to the same degree or is it uh, different? You know, the good news is, is that I've, I've really seen a difference of, of older generation and their stigmatization of depression as compared to younger people. Mm-hmm. Younger people are much more willing to be open about their depression, tell their friends, etc. Where, you know, during, during my parents' era, oh, you didn't even mention it. You know, a mental illness was not no. something, it was kept in the closet. You know, you threw the key away so that no one knew that kind of thing. And so the, the contrast, but unfortunately, there's still a stigmatization. And I think one of the one of the problems with it is that what I described to you earlier about that feeling of feeling weak. And I you know, often tell patients it's kind of a standard statement that goes out there that I've said a number of times to people, you know, you have an illness, not a weakness. And that is so important that the person recognize that this is an illness. It is not that they are just being weak or being lazy, none of that. Right. And, and so it, it helps to take the stigmatization. When I work with patients, I have a uh, program that I use uh, where it illustrates the brain and the limbic system within the brain and actually go over that with the patient so that they really, by the time I'm done with them about it, They truly understand that this is an illness no different than any other physiological illness that people suffer. And they really then walk away with the understanding that we're talking about an illness, not a weakness. And I tell you, it is really pretty profound. And I always do that with every patient that I do an evaluation on and talking with them about their depression. Wow, that's that's very interesting. But I am glad that that stigma isn't as bad as it was because it really was an issue yes. again, um, depending on the generation. Um, so if if depression is left untreated, does it get worse or do they stay at this about the same level or how does that transition work if there is one? Good question. And I think it's something to really understand about depression. And what it is, is that uh, when you look at depression untreated, that the, uh, the depression symptoms get more severe as time goes on. The, uh, they last longer, so they're, they experience depressive symptoms for a longer period of time. And the time between episodes, so those periods between the episodes, become shorter. And that's what happens. There's a graph that really depicts this, that you really get to understand that over time, with untreated depression, the person really gets to a place where they have more days of being depressed and severely depressed. And this is where you see people that get aged and they are really in a constant form of depression. And, and it's because it's gone untreated. And, you know, earlier generations wouldn't seek treatment. Younger people sure. now are more willing to say, you know, something's wrong, something's not right, that I need help, uh, where older generations wouldn't do that. And so it's changed, 
But, oh, there's still a lot of people that suffer depression and don't seek treatment. Wow. Younger generations are more open to sharing in general. Maybe that's part of the reason, do you think? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think that's part of it. I think they, they have come to realize that uh, holding this all in uh, doesn't do anything. And being, being able to at least tell people, you know, I'm having a hard time here, that they're more willing to reach out for help. I mean, that's, that's the encouraging part. But boy, we still got some distance to go before we really get people to seek treatment early. And uh, that, that is still, still a problem. Have you seen, I'm just curious in your practice, if you have seen an increase or are aware of more of an increase since COVID, since uh, 2020? Oh, yeah. Uh, although what's interesting in terms of your question is, uh, you know, if you look at the, the statistics on COVID and the increase in depression, you know, especially in younger people, uh, there was about a two-fold increase of depression in younger folks, wow. two to three-fold. So it really did uh, cause younger people uh, to have more depressive symptoms. And that was very, very concerning as to what was going on with COVID. Now, my patients um, that I treat, uh, I was concerned about that, you know, with having, they having to stay at home, you know, not making any contact, et cetera. Were they going to have an increase in depressive symptoms? And uh, they really didn't. Hmm. But I think what, it, what I attribute it to is that I was seeing all my patients remotely. So I was seeing them via Zoom and uh, we were connected. So we weren't sitting there with a mask on. You know, I saw them, they saw me. We talked about what they were going through. And that support got them through that period without really any problems. So I ended up not having to do more for the patient that I was treating uh, when COVID hit. Uh, but certainly uh, people started coming in more frequently because of COVID. So there was an, in, there was an uptick in the number of people seeking treatment. Uh, because of COVID. Interesting. Yes, I would like to talk to you about um, how this shows up. What are like the symptoms? For example, if someone is not forthcoming that they're feeling depressed or going through something like this, uh, but you know, you're mm -hmm. assessing a patient as a nurse, what kind of things are going to show up that would indicate that this person may be having a depressive uh, episode? Sure. Well, the typical um, diagnostic criteria for major depressive disorder uh, see, really comes down to where the person experiences a depressed mood mm -hmm. and or a loss of interest uh, in pleasure and, and activities that they normally would gain pleasure in. Sort of anhedonia, what we often refer to as anhedonia. And then they ha must have at least five more symptoms present, but it has to be during the same two-week period. So in other words, this isn't okay. something that, you know, a person experienced, I was had a depressed mood today and I'm fine sure. tomorrow. No, this is, goes over a, a two-week period where they're really having more symptoms than not, more days than not, and for more hours than not. And so that is typical in terms of it. The other symptoms that often ha happen with depression, major depressive disorder, is weight loss or weight gain, 
mm-hmm. they'll experience insomnia and some most often insomnia, but on occasion there will be hypersomnia, so they'll oversleep. I've had a few patients that literally were sleeping sometimes 14 hours a day wow. uh, because they were hypersomic. And uh, so that, that can, can happen. Um, psychomotor agitation or retardation uh, can happen with some people where they literally will describe to you as if they were in slow motion, you know, that you were having a slow motion picture where they, they are just literally slowed down slowed down not only in in their motor movement but slowed down in their thinking that they they literally what will happen in that uh when you see that symptom is uh they will literally uh you ask them a question and they'll pause and and you're sitting there waiting for them to respond to the question that's psychomotor retardation Boy, it's profound when it does occur. Now, not all people get that, but it is a symptom uh, as a criteria for uh, the diagnosis of depression. The other is fatigue or loss of energy. I see that quite frequently with patients with depression. That is very common. And then feelings of worthlessness uh, or excessive guilt. Uh, They feel guilty about everything. And, uh, And just... That is so common that I see with patients with depression. And then uh, a very frequent one that I see often with people with depression is difficulty in concentration. They can't focus and, uh, and they just can't think through something, can't even problem solve. And I could explain that to you from a physiological perspective in the brain as to why that occurs. Please. But in any event, it is one of the, one of the diagnostic criteria for depression. And then, of course, the most serious is recurrent thoughts of suicide uh, or death. Uh, they may not talk about, you know, I'm going to kill myself, but they may talk about, you know, I, they'll say something like, you know, I wish I could just go to sleep and not wake up. And that is some of their thoughts of death. And it's pretty profound when they, when they experience that. And it's scary. Yeah. Some of the other uh, criteria that sometimes happens, although it's not diagnostic criteria, but I see it very frequently in people with depression. They can experience aggression or anger. Um, Not uncommon to have someone really angry about something that's going on in their life, et cetera. Uh, One that I see very often, and again, what I'm describing, uh, Leanna, are symptoms that are not necessary, they're not diagnostic criteria, but they are very common with people with depression. So uh, cynicism, they will be very, they just, they, they're upset about anything and everything and very cynical. And, um, or uh, if someone criticizes them, oh my goodness, they'll overreact to it. That is if, you know, you just cut them at the knees uh, kind of thing. Um, and they're, they're very self-critical. Um, I had one patient that every time uh, she'd talk about her depression, she'd put up above her forehead an L for loser, you know, and that's how she criticized herself, that she was just a loser. And it's like, no, you're not. But that's how she sort of viewed herself. Um, The other that I see, oh, so frequently with patients, which is not necessarily a bad trait, but that can be a trait that really causes them a lot of problems, 
is perfectionism. Oh, they get wow. very, very perfectionistic about anything and everything. So whatever job they did wasn't good enough. That, that's where it comes to haunt them in very, very negative ways. Um, they can, depression is an all body illness. And so they can have gastrointestinal symptoms, you know, stomach aches, uh, uh, headaches. They have a lower stress threshold uh, when uh, they experience stress. Uh, stress will get to them very, very quickly. Um, they will over worry, worry about minutia, worry about things that is not a big deal, but in their mind, they'll sit there and worry about it. Um, I've had some patients uh, that will uh, put on an act. I've had one patient said to me that she was hiding her depression from her friends. So she would put on, when she'd go to a party or meet with some friends or something, she told me that she put on an Academy Award performance of how happy she was, etc. But behind that, she was in absolute misery. And so, you know, that whole business of, of uh, putting on an act can happen. What's interesting about that is the people who see it through it the most are people that they themselves have been depressed. They see, oh, see it almost immediately, which is really very interesting. Um, another one, and this, this whole thing is part of also uh, treatment in terms of depression, is distorted thinking. You'd be amazed of how they will take things and think about it, and it becomes very, very distorted. And we'll talk a little more about that later. Um, some patients I've had who uh, uh, have infidelity. Uh, they, they may have an affair, uh, or they will have marital conflict. I've had a number of patients that ended up coming into treatment not because they thought they were depressed, but because they were having such difficulty in their marriage and they were getting very down about it. Hmm. And, and indeed, they were depressed. And, and that helped them when we got it treated. Some patients, not a lot, but some patients will get into risky behaviors. They'll take chances on things, get it very risky. Um, or one that I see very often is social withdrawal. Uh, they will literally draw away from their friends, not return phone calls, not return emails. They will literally back off. And, and this becomes a vicious cycle. So what happens is, now remember, guilt gets played in here as well. Sure. So what happens is they don't respond to a friend, either by phone call or email, however they were con connecting with them. Then they wait too long. Then they feel guilty because they didn't do it. Then they say to me, well, I don't even know what to say to the person. I literally in therapy have had patients where I literally got them on the phone with a friend and helped them talk to the person wow. just to work through that whole thing of you know withdrawal that they got into. And so it is so common. And the last one uh, that sometimes you can see uh, is uh, substance misuse. Uh, they will misuse. It can even be over-the-counter meds. Uh, but nonetheless, they will get into misusing medications and alcohol being one of the, one of the biggest ones. What mm -hmm. most people with depression don't realize, they think they feel better when they're drinking, but in reality, it makes their depression worse. 
And, uh, and so I often have talks with, with patients that I treat of, look, you know, I know that you think it makes you feel better, but in reality, you don't sleep as well. And secondly, it increases your depressive symptoms. And uh, uh, I, I could give you examples of patients of, of where that's happened. But in any event, those are, those are not uncommon. Yeah, that sounds like a really vicious circle of trying to find relief and oh, then it, is. it worsening. Um, I'd just like to ask a couple of questions about a few of these. What Can you give me an example of distorted thinking for our listeners? Yeah, there, there's, a, there's a whole list. Uh, and um, uh, David Burns wrote a book on this where he outlined uh, distorted thinking. And it's really quite interesting. An example of one is all or nothing. Uh, people with depression get into it's either all or it's none of it. And they will literally go to the extremes. Well, we always know most of the things are somewhere in the middle. It's not all or nothing. But they really do get trapped into that kind of thinking. So it gets very distorted. Uh, and that, that example of self-criticism is another one where they will you know, criticize themselves for just nothing but yet in their mind, it's like profound. And, uh, and so that's another element of distorted thinking. So there's a couple of examples for you. Excellent. Okay. And uh, I would think that that putting on an act has got, I mean, that has got to be physically and emotionally exhausting to, to do that, um, really. It is. Which just exacerbates yeah. the problem, I, you're, too. I you're right on. That is so true. <clears throat> I've had patients that did that. Uh, talked about how exhausted they were by the time they got home because they were trying to show everybody, oh, I'm so happy, right. when in reality they were miserable. And uh, yeah, uh, the patient that I think of just immediately in my mind is a woman that, that literally did that. And she talked about how she literally had to go to bed the minute she got home because she was so tired from trying to just put on this act. Wow. So indeed. Now, uh, for a nurse and in assessing a patient in a clinical setting who is unfamiliar with their benchmark, so to speak, or what their baseline is, some of these symptoms may appear to be just part of that individual's personality. Do you recommend having conversations with families if there's anything that you're not sure about or if a question arises that you think they might be depressed, but they say they're not? You bet. Uh, okay. I... Very often when, when I'm doing an, an evaluation on a patient and the family is out there in the waiting room, I always talk with the patient uh, and ask them if it would be okay I, if I met with, with the family since they're right. out there waiting for them. They're concerned about what's happened to their family member, et cetera. And, uh, and I, I cannot think of a time, yeah, I really can't, where a patient said to me, no, no, I'd rather you not talk to my mother, my father, you know, my wife, my husband, that kind of thing. They've always said, yeah, I'll be more than happy. So I'll bring them in and I will literally give them some of the education that I gave the patient about what's going on in the brain, you know, what's happening, and talk with them about how the depression not only affects that person, but also affects the family. Mm. It isn't just the person only. It really is pretty profound of how it happens. Much of those examples that I gave you that are not part of the diagnostic criteria, you can well imagine, have a real impact on family members. They really do. You know, what, when you've got someone 
who's being rather aggressive or angry all the time. That's yeah. not a fun interaction to have with a spouse is an example. Uh, and so you can see right. how depression really does affect not only the person, but the family too. I think you've really shone a light for, uh, for us. I mean, not that we weren't aware on some level, but it's really uh, shone a brighter light on the fact that if someone's coming in for a clinical reason and they're displaying symptoms of depression, that we shouldn't just brush that off. That sh we need to take the time and dig in. Is that correct? Absolutely. That's all the time we have for episode one. But what profound information Dr. Reg has shared through this episode. We know that there are and will be events that occur in life that will cause intense sadness and put us through the phases of grieving. But clinical depression is not being able to pull ourselves out of the dark hole. And as healthcare professionals, we need to take the time to further assess when we notice symptoms of depression. If you or someone you know is struggling with clinical depression, we at Calibri Healthcare encourage you to seek help with a counselor nearest you or by contacting the National Alliance for Mental Health, also known as NAMI, at 1-800-950-6264. If you or someone you know is in an immediate health crisis, you can also seek help by just dialing 988. I hope you can join us for episode two of this series, Out of Darkness, Symptoms and Treatments for Major Depressive Disorder, where we will continue the discussion of depression as it relates to suicidal ideation and past, current, and future treatments of major depressive disorder. This is Dr. Candace Pierce for Calibri Healthcare. This podcast featured content from an accredited CE activity provided by Calibri Healthcare. Visit EliteLearning.com slash podcasts for accreditation and disclosure statements and instructions on how you may be able to earn CE credits. Take your learning to the next level by subscribing to more podcasts on compelling healthcare topics.